Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits for the month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? A mass shooting comes to an end after a sniper is shot by police more than 200 times on the roof of New Orleans Holiday Inn Hotel. He killed nine people, including five police officers. U.S. President Richard Nixon announces an accord has been reached to end the Vietnam War. And the jury finds Watergate defendants guilty on all counts. This is January 1973. And you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Brian brings this album. What you got, Brian? Do you recognize that opening there, gentlemen? 2001 Space Odyssey. Very good. Very good. Thus spoke Zarathustra. (laughs) (laughs) This is Elvis Presley's Aloha from Hawaii via satellite from January of 1973. At the time... And I don't know that it's been eclipsed. This reached, this is a live via satellite feed that reached 38 countries. Oh, wow. And, a, and an audience between 1 billion and 1.5 billion. Wow. That's no longer the Space Odyssey, gentlemen. Who is it? The king. The king the himself. The king himself. <laughs> Amen. Listen to that crowd. Oh, my goodness. I got chills. I mean, I, I, you know, I just, to share a personal note, this, this album is dripping with nostalgia and, and emotion for me. My mother, as I've told you on many podcasts and other occasions, was a huge Elvis fan, and she got me to be an Elvis fan, and I have to say, this is what did it. This was the clincher for me. Yeah. Because his char- charisma, his stage presence was just unmatched back then. And we're listening now to C.C. Ryder, which he opened many of concerts. Other concerts he'd open it with, with That's All Right Mama, which is his first single that he released. But the little snarl in his lip, you know, and the, and the quick glances and all the body movements on the downbeats. I mean, he was just notorious for that. Yeah. I think they call that a whiplash smile. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was, it worked because uh, this was truly his... If it wasn't the crown jewel of his accomplishments, it is right up there with him. And so, uh, he had a full orchestra band behind him. Of course, he had the Stamps Quartet. He had the uh, Sweet Inspiration singing background. I mean, the guy had it all right there. And so, well, I'm just, I'm glad that you brought this up because, you know, when you think Elvis Presley, he's kind of become a caricature of himself now. But when you go back and you look at things like this, he was the real deal. I mean, he was he he basically started the whole rock and roll movement. Yeah. And if you recall back before this was conceived in 
He was doing movies in the 60s, mm-hmm. which was very successful, but they just became so sort of mundane for him. He just well, he did one every good. three months. It seemed exactly. like there was another movie, and they were just basically to highlight a song of his that he did on there, and that was it. And there right. some, some of them were good. Most of them were bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had the Elvis, basically his rebirth of, from the 1968 Christmas special. Remember, he came out in all black leather on the stage and did a, a, a concert that was widely acceptable by the crowd and by the television audience. And then, of course, he started playing Vegas at the Hilton. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Well, in January, of, or actually in the fall of 72, Colonel Tom Parker, who was his manager, says, I want to do a global concert in Hawaii, and I want the entire world to see it. So he convinces RCA, who at the time owned NBC. So they convince NBC that they want to do it. And then the guy at the time's name was John Hamlin, and he was the vice president of entertainment. He, he assigns it to a guy named Marty Pacetta. So I'm keep that in mind, Marty Pacetta. So Marty Pacetta says, okay, well, what am I going to do with this guy? He goes, well, I don't really know much about him, which was kind of hard to believe. As we start to listen to, of course, Burning Love, another one of his you know, big oh, songs. Yeah. So Pacetta says, he meets with him, and Colonel Parker, and he says, okay, well, we have this idea about doing a live show, and we're going to do it in Hawaii, and we're going to broadcast it on new technology called satellite technology. But you've got to do something for me, Elvis. And, of course, Elvis is intrigued. He says, you've got to lose a little weight. So Elvis hmm. has two bodyguards sitting next to him. And they kind of just get a little uncomfortable. They pull out their guns and they put them on the table. <laughs> so Pesetta said, you better believe I was scared. <laughs> and so, But Elvis says, do you really think I need to lose weight? And Pesetta, yeah, you do because I'm going to do a lot of close-ups of your face. And a lot of things that, you know, right now you feel like you're just a little, a little little, overweight there. Elvis jumps out of his chair and gives the guy a big hug. Wow. Because Pacetta was the only one that was honest enough with him to tell him, you need to lose some weight. Dang. Well, he so, didn't keep it off. No, I know that. <laughs> he lost 20 pounds. And you know how he got it done? He took urine. He took daily injections of urine from pregnant a pregnant woman. Okay. Because it because it, it helped increase the you know the uh, ridding of the fat. Hmm. I would have rather had those fried banana man sandwiches. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because the drugs that he was taking then would cause him to have sugar cravings, mm-hmm. and that's why he ate all that because of the drugs he was taking. He was taking two prescription drugs at the time, uh, Demerol I think was one, and some other drug to help him you know wake up. But the combination just caused him to. You know, and have oh, sugar man. highs. Mm. So, anyway, Pacetta also, when they had their first sit-down meeting, he said, I want to, you know, usually he would play on 10-foot platform stages that extended out into the crowd, and around it would be bodyguards. Mm-hmm. Well, Pacetta said, no, I think what we should do is shrink the size and the height of the stage from 10 feet down to 8 feet, mm-hmm. and then we ought to have women around the walkway. Hmm. Colonel Tom said, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not. Elvis said, hold on, baby. We're going to do what he said, not what uh, Colonel Tom said. So basically, Elvis dismisses Colonel Tom out of the creative process. He says, he takes care of all my business. I'll take care of my creativity and my music decisions. So that's what happened there. Well, you guys know the story about him not doing international travel is Colonel Tom actually had uh, either – prior convictions and stuff, Thank you, and he couldn't actually 
travel, travel anywhere <laughs> yeah. outside the United States. Yeah. So that's the reason why he never traveled internationally. So, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you very much. Here we go. Good evening, and uh, hope you enjoy our show tonight. We're, we're going to try to do all the songs you want to hear. Now, if it wasn't for Pesetta's convincing Elvis, that would not have happened because hmm. he'd had bodyguards around and that the, the women and the girls couldn't get close to him. You wouldn't have heard them. Now, this song is, we know this, some, of course, is for Frank Sinatra. Paul Anka wrote, helped write this song. Oh. And Paul Anka, in an interview, said this was specifically for Frank. But Frank didn't like the song. He reluctantly recorded it, and it was a huge success. And so Elvis asked, you know, Paul Anka, if he could do it. Of course, Paul Anka said, well, of course you can. I get paid for it. Why not? <laughs> so this helped pr- promote Paul Anka. Uh, obviously got the benefits from it, but sure. it shot way back up after Elvis covered it. Mm-hmm. So you know how big it was with Frank. So anyway, Much more but after this, uh, Pesetta starts working on this, the production. So he goes to see Elvis in concert in California somewhere. And basically, he, he was very disappointed. It was very, uh, it was an underwhelming show. Elvis just stands up on stage. He does no movement. He's just sitting there singing. And then he leaves the stage. So Pesetta says, well, what am I going to do with this? So, again, you know, it just... And Elvis will only give an hour sh- a concert. Oh, really? That's it. That's it? One, One hour. hour? One hour. Yikes. And so that was... that would, If you recall, though, that wasn't the only show he would give that day. A lot of times he would give an afternoon show and an evening show. And if it was in a big city, it would be a two- or three-day span. Like in New York, he did Madison Square Garden for six shows. So, but the shows were only an hour, maybe an hour and ten minutes, and that was it. So... He wanted basically NBC allotted an hour and a half time slot. So Pacetta says, Well, what am I going to do? And so the recording took a Friday night and a Saturday night show. And he recorded all of it for both nights. And that's where you see a lot of what he did. Some of the extra songs he did that were not on this album, but were recorded after the concert. There was five of them. But it did not appear on these, this album, but it appeared on his Mahola from Elvis. Hmm. And, or Mahela from, from Elvis, which is a later album that he released. So, well, well produced, well, well done. But, um, I mean, obviously this song, now what a lot of the critics would say is a lot of the songs that he selected for this album were starting to show his decline mm-hmm. in his emotional state. So, I mean, he did, I Can't Stop Loving You, uh, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. I mean, if you look at the, the list of the songs, My Way. I mean, a lot of them really were downers. Well, this is after he divorced with Priscilla. Well, so not yet. They, he hadn't divorced not yet? yet. Oh, not okay. yet. They Obviously, were, they were yeah. starting to have problems. Okay. Well, yeah. but, you know, that, that's, I think a lot of that is the, has the benefit of hindsight, you know? Yeah. Of course it does. Because we emphasize this, we emphasize My Way rather than C.C. Ryder. Right. Yeah. But the, to the point about Pesetta seeing him when he was just standing up there, if you watch the video, if, you, if you've never seen the DVD of this concert, he is fun to watch. I mean, he, he gives you a little, little snarl and little, you know, and, and the women uh, actually screaming at him, and he'll go down and get a kiss from him and give him a, 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 a scarf, scarf or something. Scarves, yeah. or, and so it was just fun to watch him play and toy with the women in the audience. Oh, but, um, 
it's just he's just an incredible he, he was an incredible person and, and uh but so this is the end of this song well elvis is my mom's favorite oh yeah you know artist so that i mean i don't know if it was the rest of y'all's also my mother-in-law but, yep thank yeah. you very much. so i don't know women always liked him you're a fantastic audience thank you very much. well this next song is is it's one of his staples and i know we've all heard it before if you're here in georgia if you've been to stone mountain you've seen it with the fireworks uh show and this is my favorite of his, and it's written by a gentleman by the name of Mickey Newberry. Oh, this is called the American Trilogy. In the land of and it is, I've, I've got, here I go again, I've got chills here. But to see him sing it live on the, this DVD is just, it, it, put, it'll, it puts a lump in my throat every time I see it. Now, who's seen the laser light show at Stone Oh, yeah. Oh, ever oh, numerous times. All right, yeah. how many times? are, are, are we're, You probably go a dozen times because everybody who comes to Atlanta. That's, that's what they want to do. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, wait a minute. There's a laser light show. It's really cool. It has fireworks, everything else. It's a stone mountain, which is very close to downtown Atlanta. And you just go there, and this usually ends the concert or whatever, the laser the show. light show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's very touching. Uh, just describing, you know, how the end of the Civil War just, you know, destroyed, you know, the South and how people came together afterwards. And, yep, and yep. it really is meant to be bringing people together, not saying, hey, we're these right. Southern, you know, people who who keep alive this Dixieland thing. But more yeah, of it's we're, well done. We're back, we're back together as, as a country. And yeah. too many people are trying to divide the country. And. This really does show more people trying to come back together. Yeah. I just love it here, too, though. This is where the orchestra kicks in right here. Nice. Uh, I look at this. I got. I think I'm out in the refrigerator. I'm that's a big bumps. tuba sound. I don't think you have tuba in rock and roll much. <laughs> but you know, it's the interesting thing, too, about this show, it was wrought with technical problems oh really they a, a good, perfect example uh, Pasetta was talking about uh, the day before the broadcast it was discovered that someone had cut the power lines going into the auditorium huh don't know why don't Anybody know if you know where Colonel Parker was <laughs> at that time <laughs> so Pasetta calls Don Ho mm-hmm. and says Don we need some help here so he got people out of bed and they came back and fixed the lines and fixed everything into that auditorium just in time. Tell wow. people who Don Ho was. Well, Don Ho was tr- one of the biggest. He is still one of the biggest, if not the biggest, entertainer on the, in on Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And he has his own nightclub or his restaurant, and he still plays. I, I guess he's still with us. And he will sing, and, and he had his own show at one time on NBC, I think it was, during the daytime, that he, he just was very popular. Now, I just wanted to mention because we just drifted into the third part of the trilogy, didn't we? Yeah. It's a, uh, that All My Trials, All my trials. Uh, a, a, a spiritual that's just just a fantastic song and a great a, a great piece to include in the in the trilogy, mm-hmm. in the trio. And another thing that uh, had happened the day of the show was discovered the backstage equipment was creating a humming sound. So Pacetta calls Don Hogan and says, hey, can you help? So he called the Navy Yard. He had a truckload of lead sheets that were brought to line the back where it would not vibrate. Mm-hmm. Listen to that. Oh, those trumpets. You can hear Elvis just yelling. 
just powerful stuff. I could see him like on his knees just kind of throwing oh. that finger out <laughs> and just kind of slowly going around across, you know, uh, that. But this is truly um, a very moving So he song. was dressed all in white. Is this the white yeah. time where he had all white jumpsuit or yeah. whatever it was, white all shoes? The, all the studs with the American Eagle on the back. Okay. Yeah, and had his cape going. A cape. <laughs> yeah. A cape. There's no capes in rock and roll. <laughs> there was then. There is when you're the king. That's right. All right, Brian. We'll hear a little bit more later, but I, that, those are the f- songs I wanted to present at this time. But uh, long live thank the king. You. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Very nice. Very nice. There they are. There are the, the girls. girls at the runway there, right? Yeah. All right. Well, now we're moving on to our entertainment pick. This is uh, brought to us by Wright Collin Financial, and this is the theme from Bonanza. Bonanza. 440th episode and the final episode was done in January 1973 and that's the reason why we're bringing it to you I'm to me this is one of those songs I think you would hear it you had to hear it just in the zeitgeist yeah it's just out there there's only a couple other things that happened in TV. Uh, Schoolhouse Rock premiered, if you remember that. Oh, I remember Schoolhouse yeah. Rock. That's how we learned a lot of things about the Constitution. I'm just a bill. Well done. Yeah, well, exactly. well done. I learned all my multiplication tables that's with the one Schoolhouse that actually, Rock. That's the one that was the debut. And Barnaby Jones uh, mm-hmm. debuts, if, if you guys remember that. that Buddy Epson. Buddy Epson, the... He's 70 years old, but he still runs down 20-year-olds. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. A few movies that came out in um, a film of January 73. We had Black Mama, White Mama, which was women in prison film with Pam Greer. We had The Last Tango in Paris that had Marlon Brando. That was a Radio oh, X okay. movie, if you remember. Which, uh, I'm sorry, Marlon was a little too overweight to kind of see nudes. <laughs> uh Deaths. Uh, John Banner died in, in January 73. You may not recognize the name, but you remember who he was. He was Sergeant Schultz in oh, Hogan's oh. Heroes. So. Manson. It was a documentary film made about the Charles Manson murders. The Fence was a crime drama with Sean Connery. I haven't seen that, but I thought that that would probably be That would have been one. very shortly after he left the role as Bond. Yeah. It it's just basically he had a uh, he killed a child molester while he was invest- interrogating him. But that was Entertainment, January 1973. And now we're who are we moving to on this? I guess it's Bruce. That's right. Man, That's right. Nice bass line on this one. Time to get the funk on. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this one well, Bruce. I think this is the first appearance of the Temptations on What the Riff. Has anybody had the Temptations as a staff pick yet? I don't think don't so. Know, but we'll we'd have to check, but I think it is. And I'm I'm glad I say, Rob, you picked the uh, the singles version, the shorter version. Yes. Of <laughs> oh, yeah, this one goes on and on, yeah. And it's about 30 seconds shorter than the uh, real one. Yeah. <laughs> the album version of the song runs 11 minutes and 46 seconds. Yikes. And this, one, this version runs a long time, too. It's uh, over eight minutes. 
Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong wrote this song in 1971, and it was originally released by The Undisputed Truth. Yep. In 1972. Oh. We did a, I did a staff pick of theirs not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. So the Temptations were a, uh, a Motown group. They were the they were Detroit-based. Um, and they they were known as, they became known as psychedelic funk. Hmm. I can see but, that. But uh, they've got a lot of a lot of hits from the Temptations. Yeah, I can hear the theme from Shaft in this one. You can, can't you? This version peaked at number three on the charts for The Undisputed Truth back in 1972. But The Temptations version would hit number one, and it won three Grammy Awards. Listen to the lead-in on this. I, we're, what, two minutes in and haven't even started And singing. this is the short version, Wayne? <laughs> this is the short version. This could be the instrumental hit for us. You could almost sing, Fly, Robin, Fly. Yeah. It was the third of September. Oh, there you go. Now you got the voice coming in. And what's this song about? Papa was a rolling stone. That's right. Wherever he lay, his his head was his home. And when he died, all he left us was alone. Um, That is like the saddest thing that you can think of. It's a really hopeless song. Was it A-L-O-N-E or (laughs) A-L-O-A-N? The former. (laughs) Here we go. There's the chorus. Wow. All he left was All he left us was alone. So, yeah, the Temptations version hit number one. Uh, Singers at this time are Dennis Edwards, Melvin Franklin, Richard Street, and Damon Harris. It would be the Temptations' last number one hit. Really? You know, for the the longest time, I always thought it was... The Sly and the Family Stone that sang this, but it sounds a lot like him, but doesn't it's not, it? Yeah. So it's it's just uh, it, it's amazing the uh, you know the 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 length of time that the Temptations were were working in the '60s and the '70s. They came out with a lot of different songs. I guess the most popular hits would have been "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" or "My Girl." What's interesting is this is sort of the the time frame when you went from rhythm and blues stuff, you know, of the Tempta- the early Motown, and this is really considered soul music. Yeah, it, it, this is when you had your your movies that were just basically tar- targeted at the black audience, like Shaft, and there were several other those, many of them. We, we talked about one earlier, just you know, the, the black mama, white mama, you know. So the the it, I guess, had a resurgence or or, or, or a marketing targeted towards the black people, right? Right. But it, this crossed all all genres, as you said. This is a number sure. one song, but it is it is definitely based in in soul and the the like. Even the term the being a rolling stone, you know, that's that's vernacular for somebody who's kind of worthless, you know. And, and you listen to some of the verses, the way that they describe Papa in here, you know, is he had another wife and he he was he was pre he was preaching, but he stole in the name of the Lord, you know, and, mm. and it's just like, OK, there's just nothing good about this guy. at all. <laughs> listen to that production. This is that psychedelic feel, yeah. isn't it? There it is. 
<laughs> that Wawa. Yeah. I'm digging it. Yeah. As I, as I used to say back in the day, this is really boss. <laughs> So, who, who were the members? Were they all? Were they? So how many males? How many females? So it was all. It was. It was all uh, an all male group, and uh, the classic lineup would have been David Ruffin, Melvin Franklin, Paul Williams, Otis Williams, and Eddie Kendricks. And uh, Otis uh, Otis Williams actually takes the name and. I believe he they is still. still yeah, I believe still he's still touring, yeah. touring but uh, Otis Williams is the only one that's that's one of the original. I forget members. where David Ruffin went to, but I, I know he he started yeah. another group. There's there's a lot of different the movement in and out. It was one of, like a lot of the Motown groups. You'd have different personalities that would move in and out of groups. Yeah, yeah go out and see the Temptations, man. So is that a that's a that's a male voice right there? Yes. Oh wow. On up there, isn't it? Yeah. What do they call that falsetto? So, yeah, as of 2021, according to Wikipedia, as of 2021, the Temptations continue to perform with founder Otis Williams in the lineup. Williams owns the rights to the Temptations now. And you know that they. this has been in a lot of movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely sets the to- tone you're thinking about early 70s. Car wash and all that. Car yep. wash. There's the clap, hand clapping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That car wash not too long after this. I think it was 76, 75. So there we go. Hopefully I didn't depress you guys too much no, with that. Oh, man. Maybe he, they just learned their lesson and stayed married with the yeah, that's right. next, <laughs> next generation. Well, we're moving on to our next staff pick. This is going to be Rob. Uh-oh, Rob. Yep, I've got something a little different. This is an artist I'm really not that familiar with, so I'm like, all right, I'll pick this one. You hear that harmonica? Oh, yeah. sort, of, sort of sounds like a lead into a Bob Dylan song. I was song. about to say, I didn't expect Rob to pick a Dylan song. Well, that's not Bob Dylan. This is Roberta Joan Mitchell, otherwise known as Joni Mitchell. I didn't know she was Canadian. Hmm. And she's classified as folk, pop, rock, classical, a little bit of jazz. Interesting, interesting voice there. I love it. Yeah. I Definitely love it. folky, I think. That's what I think of when I think of Joni Mitchell. It's it's folk music. I covered her a little bit when when I brought Crosby, Stills and Nash album a few episodes back because she was kind of responsible for bringing them together. And if you remember, there was some debate as to whether they met for the first time in Joni Mitchell's house or Mama Cass's house. Right. They couldn't fi- They couldn't remember. That tells you something else about Joni Mitchell, I think. As I recall, one of the the individuals that said it had to be Mama Cass's house because I would have been too nervous to perform at Joni Mitchell's house. So she was a force. Yeah, she is one of the elites or the the founders of that that California sound. She's another storyteller. Sure. This uh, This is You Turn Me On, I'm a Radio. And it was released on her fifth studio album called For the Roses. And it was a single released as well. She actually was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. And I don't know if you're familiar or did you 
remember this, but she had an aneurysm in 2015. I do oh, remember wow. that, yes. Yep. And she said she hasn't written much music lately, but concentrating on getting her health back. That was as of October 28th, 2020. So she's still recovering from that. A tie to Crosby Stills, Nash & Young. They were credited for contributing to the recording session, but only the harmonica piece performed by Graham Nash was included in the official release. Mm-hmm. So, You Turn Me On, I'm a Radio by Joni Mitchell. Great pick. I'm sure we'll have some more Joni Mitchells later. Yes, Wayne's raising his hand. Mine, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe with Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. So now we're moving along to Wayne. What are you Guys, bringing us? we're going back to some Southern Rock. Even though these guys were formed in Los Angeles. <laughs> South Los Angeles. That's right. Little Feet. Uh, this is uh, Dixie Chicken, buddy. And this is a fun, fun song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lil George, we've talked about him a little bit in the past. And actually, I'm probably not going to talk a whole lot about Little Feet that much, but he's the main guy behind this. He's the force. Uh, he ended up dying uh, in the late 70s. But uh, this this is just him all over. Wait a minute, who's that in the background? Guys, any, any idea who may be singing with them? One of the background singers is know. Bonnie Ray. Okay. Oh, okay. Now that but you say that, I can... Singing with them also is another Bonnie, Bonnie Bramblett. Um, there's a duel that was sort of back in that California sound, uh, Delaney and Bonnie, uh, in the early 70s, and that's, she's also singing with him on this. Interesting. I heard they reference Memphis in there. I'm curious. Did they record this at Muscle Shoals by any no, chance? No, they did not. But okay. They, but the thing is, 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 is a guy. One of the guys on the in there uh, was driving around and he saw this thing called Dixie Chicken in California for a restaurant. He goes, "Man, that's a pretty good name." So they started uh, coming up with the songs, you know, and everything. And underneath the street lamp, I met a Southern Belle, you know, and, well, she took me to the river where she cast her spell. And the song is just about a guy who picked up a girl. You know, he was pretty drunk, and still in that drunken haze, he marries her. (laughs) Sort of not in Las Vegas, but in Memphis. And she takes off not too long after that. So, and by the end of the song, you find out that, oh, everybody knows about this woman. She kind of gets around. Been married a few times, huh? <laughs> Did she take off with all his money, buddy? Yeah, chance? well, he spent all his money. That's what, if you do the song. Wayne, you may have covered this, but how do they how do they get the name Little Feet? Uh, ooh, I didn't. I'm. I will do that when we okay. do an album. Okay. All right. I didn't want to go there. I just want to kind of stick onto the song. But you, I thought you said Little George. You referred no, to no, no, Lowell George. Oh, is, okay. Is the singer. Gotcha. Gotcha. And he's the guitarist and singer. Keyboardist Bill Payne is is who also started the band with him great um what's interesting what's funny i think it's funny is is how they promoted this and how would you guys promote this come on mr marketer rob how would you promote this album you mean uh as what genre or genre yeah it's an album and song i mean i no no how would you promote it to record companies you know you're going around trying to trying to get people to i'd send it in a in a kentucky fried chicken uh container okay 
Very close. Very close. They delivered fried chicken to the radio station. Lowell George would dress in a chicken suit. (laughs) (laughs) And the box read, Finger Picking Good. Ah, And had the cover of the album over the Colonel Sanders bucket. So they would bring it to record places. And I went, oh, yeah, that was smart. That's just clever. That was close. We'll get back. Little Feet's one of those southern rock groups. I mean, you'll... You'll have fun. We'll have fun when we recover the albums, but we'll get deeper into that. Great. Yeah, thanks. Now we're moving on to our final staff pick, which is going to be Brian, bringing it all back around to him. What do you have for us, Brian? Who likes bass? Who likes flute? Nice. Who likes them together? If this is bass and flute together, I think this is probably Jethro Tull. Uh, Good call, Rob. Ian Anderson, ladies and gentlemen, and Jethro Tull. A little something in 5-4. Yes. And, and that is something unique... in the past, isn't it? I yes, believe it I is. Believe they call it living in the past. Ah. Ironically, as you mentioned, this is a 5-4 beat. Meter. Which was unheard of back then. Still is today. You don't hear a lot of bands You don't hear five, a lot four. of stuff in 5 But this one, of course, although the Dave Brubeck would have done Take Five. Yeah, very good. So this was actually the highest charting single Jethro Tull ever enjoyed. Now, what do you think about it? Really? And all the others that they had. But this was the highest charting. Now, did this do better than Farm on the Freeway? Because he, he hit it big in the 80s with yeah. Farm on the Freeway. That was one of, That's probably my favorite of his. Yeah. But yes, it, according to Song Facts, this is the highest charting single for uh, Jethro Tull. Now, if you go back to our catalog, we've done Aqualong with Jethro yes. Tull, the whole album. Yeah. Or, so go back and listen to that also if you really are a Jethro Tull fan. Even just listen to it. We had a great time doing that. But yeah, this... Jethro Tull had hit after hit all through the early 70s. And you know, the thing about Ian Anderson is not only is he a great musician, great lyricist, he is quite the intellect. I mean, he is very well uh, educated, read and educated, and and, and he expresses a lot of that in his music as well as in other causes. But in an interview in, in 1985, I'm quoting song facts here. He says, to be honest, I've always loathed and detested this song. <laughs> That's the way it goes, right? Exactly. Because, in fact, when it was the first day hit, I used to hide in a corner and cringe. But the guys in the band now are keen to play it. And, you know, I'm beginning to grow accustomed to the damn thing. Quote, unquote. I think when they, I think they just get tired of hearing it. That's the problem. It's, yeah. It becomes a hit. Everybody listens to it all the time. You have to play it at every show, and surely that's who was be. it that said that though. I, I heard one of the musicians that said, you know, getting getting tired of the song that made you successful is just, you know, it's like crying over spilt champagne. You know, it's like, you know, I wish that I had not become rich and famous. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, you just got to. You can't sorry. do it. You, you got to play the song. Yep. But in, in the closing, as the song is winding down, basically uh, Ian Anderson explained the song's meaning to the Mojo magazine. He says, lyrically, it was a bit of a rejection of the swinging fashion of that post-Beatles, slightly happy, idealistic period. So 
Go Slightly figure. happy, idealistic. <laughs> All right, so we're going to round it off a little differently today. Yeah, usually we, we do an instrumental or a, a comedy, but audience. Brian and, uh, said, hey, can I have a favor? I do appreciate you guys being so understanding, but this is how Elvis would close out his concerts. And I thought it was just most uh, appropriate to close it out as well with this podcast since we are, you know, featuring his uh, live from, uh, from Hawaii. This is Can't Help Falling in Love with You. This is from the, uh, the movie Blue Hawaii. And this is, of course, in the movie, it's a lot slower tempo. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in this, this case, is a it's a lot faster, which personally, I love this version. And uh, what a great way to, uh, you know, close a concert, and especially since this is recorded in Hawaii. So. Boy, we close out What the Riff uh, for January 1973. We go and go back and do some of the things we haven't done before and top hits of January 1973 You're So Vain Carly Simon Awesome I'll bet you think that song is about you <laughs> Superstition Stevie Wonder yes. What a great wonderful song Me and Mrs. Jones Paul Billy Paul Claire Gilbert O'Sullivan Funny Face Donnie, Donna Fargo I remember that That was a crossover hit from Country mm-hmm. Your mama don't dance. Kenny Loggins and Jimmy. And your daddy Jimmy don't Simpson. rock and roll. Yeah. Music of January 73. Kiss plays their first show in Queens, New York. Grateful Dead bass player Phil Lesh is busted on drug charges. And the Rolling Stones have a benefit concert for Nicaraguan earthquake victims. Uh, I remember that just because uh, just my neighbors across the street were... Uh, from there and they were trying to develop stuff. Big deal. You've been listening to What the Riff from January 1973. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Collin Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?